Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Darren Driver, the ghost of Calvin Phillips' future. My body is broken, but I'll still kick you if you get too close. And I'm joined today by John McKenzie, the ghost of Calvin Phillips' present. He's got his big money move and everybody's got an opinion about it. And finally, he's young, he's good-looking, the ladies love his cheeky little smile, but no one's quite sure where he fits in. It's the ghost of Calvin Phillips' past. It's only Adam Elliott. How are you doing, Adam? Um, I'm all right, thanks, mate. I, I refute some of those claims you just made, but I appreciate them nonetheless. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm well. Which ones in particular would you refute, Adam? Good-looking, and maybe the cheeky little smile as well. But no, it's, it's fine. I appreciate that, Darren. <laughs> I appreciate that you think that of me. Well, there you go. I do know where you fit in, actually. That's the only one I disagree with, but it, it just worked thematically in the joke to say that. So, you know, I just <laughs> hope that that's okay. And, John, do you think Adam's good-looking with a cheeky little smile? Of course I do. Of course I do. You see? See? We're all in agreement here, apart from you, Adam. So how are you doing, John? Yeah, I'm good. It's a sunny day. I have lots of things to do. Yeah, life is good. Got to achieve the things, John. You got to achieve the things. I just want to say before we move into the into the um, meat of this podcast, for any literature nerds that are listening to this, and I'm particularly thinking about Tom Woodhead here. I am aware that I got the order of the ghosts in the wrong order um, for the piece of text that it's referencing. However, I'm the host, so I needed to go first, and I'm also the oldest, so that's why I had to be the ghost of future. So just get off my fucking case, Tom. Okay, <laughs> before you start. Okay, let's think a little bit today about Calvin Phillips and associated issues, a little bit about the general transfer window moves and potential incomings, and we will talk about the under-23s, assuming we don't run out of time, um, which, I, which I don't think we will. So let's think about um, Calvin Phillips, who's moved to Manchester City for a fee to, believed to be around £45 million, I guess will be signed off in the next couple of days and officially announced by the clubs. So... Let's think a little bit about about Calvin as a player. Adam, uh, how do you reflect on the full span of Calvin's Leeds career? 
funny one, isn't it? I remember a time when, towards the start, there were a lot of Leeds fans that were calling for him to, to leave the club and they didn't think he'd ever make it with us. And now we've got many Leeds fans who think he's the best player at the club other than maybe Rafinha. And obviously in that time, he has become sort of one of the most improved players that we've seen. His trajectory is not, not something that I foresaw happening. Um, but I'm personally delighted with how, how it's gone for him. And I, to be honest, I'm pretty happy with him to get the move that he, he's probably richly deserved in some ways. Um, go and win some trophies, Carl. That's fine with me if you want to do that. I'll miss him though. I will miss that cheeky smile that you alluded to, and and yeah, I mean, there've been some good memories within that that sort of four or five years that he's been sort of much improved under Bielsa and whatnot. Mm, yes, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. So, John, if you think about Calvin's role in the team, and and like I suppose before Bielsa, even he had a, he had a number of different roles within the team, but then he had a very specific role under Bielsa, and then post and then and post Bielsa. It seems to be um, a bit less certain. So, how how do you see his the the journey of his role changes across those three periods of time? Yeah, I guess the role pretty much stayed the same, but the system around him changed. I would say, and that's sort of the situation that that leads to us not finding it difficult necessarily to talk about how he fits in the sort of grand scheme of things, but. Um, obviously, he was tried to be played further forward in the field when. Gary Monk in particular was the, the manager and um, I never really was convinced by that. Obviously Bielsa comes in and plays him as a purely defensive pivot player uh, and that's obviously the situation that suits him best in a system which actually leaves a lot of open space and lots of space to defend. Uh, requires a level of athleticism and, and good off-ball stuff and that really suited him. Moving into the Jesse Marsh system, two things I guess. One of, one of them is that you're expecting more on the ball from your central midfielders and I'm just not convinced that, that Phillips really ever had uh, anything beyond that that um, drilled ball into the channel um, in his skill set uh, and then the other thing being that I think in a Jesse Marsh system the weak points aren't through the middle as they are in a Bielsa system they're down the sides and so again that just reduces your upside a little bit I think so yeah for me very much a case of systems are important for the players that you put in them uh, and yeah, I guess moving to a Manchester City side which plays more similarly to the way that Bielsa plays than a Jesse Marsh plays will probably suit him to a, an extent. So it makes a certain degree of sense. Yeah, Adam, the 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 City system's going to create space for him, I guess, in in in, or he's going to be given afforded space to play in 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 a way that he just wouldn't be in the double pivot at Leeds, right? Yeah, absolutely. They'll obviously be sort of dominating the ball and teams will sit in against them and in a low block and he'll have a little bit more time and space necessarily to sort of pick out those those passes into channels like John mentioned and that is the ball that he's he's obviously very good at so yeah there is a world where this is a good move for him and well beyond that as well it's a good move for him that he'll, he'll win trophies and he'll you know he'll have a good time even if he's not playing week in week out as he is here um I think that's that's still a really good career move for him he's obviously going to be and a lot more money than we could have afforded as well. So you can't really blame him and you can't really be annoyed at him for going there because I think there's a lot of reasons why I think it's a good move for him personally. But also, from my perspective and probably most Leeds fans' perspective, it's easier to stomach a move to sort of Manchester City than, you know, he was linked to Man United not that long ago and I wouldn't want it to see him at Chelsea. So out of all the sort of top six teams, they're probably the one that I find it easiest to, to sort of, you know, accept him moving there. I think it's worth saying as well that 
I think people are seeing him as a straight up backup to Rodri and I think there'll be games where he's played like that but I do think that the reason why City have gone for him is because he offers that sort of Fernandinho replacement that they've needed in the last few seasons in the Champions League and and that is when you're holding on to a win or or a lead in the um in the Champions League and you want to solid things up you just bring on someone else to play alongside Rodri and 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 clog things up in the middle a little bit more and I do think that Manchester City have reached a point where they can afford to drop 40 mil on a player for that main specialism mm. I don't think that you're going to get anywhere near the same output from Phillips as you are for Rodri uh, and so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see the way that Pep uses Phillips in the City system. Is it going to just be the case that he's played in games where he's not expected to do much on-ball stuff at all? What and, and what are those games? Because Manchester City, yes, they are going to possess the ball a lot. But the reason that you play someone like Phillips is because you want someone who's going to be good in defensive transition. So is it going to be the case that there will be some games where they'll play Rodri and Phillips but what are those games because we don't even see that happening against Liverpool or I guess even like Real Madrid in in the most recent Champions League like what are the contexts in which you expect Pep to use Phillips I can't really answer that question necessarily what do you think Adam that's an it's a really interesting question one I was about to ask myself not much else to add to be honest Darren John's kind of hit the nail on the head I think yeah it is sort of a, a thing that these bigger teams can do now where they can buy specialist players um they don't necessarily have to have a like-for-like like replacement. Also, that uh, there's a lot of talk about Liverpool and Manchester City possibly both this season playing a little bit more 4-2-3-1 than they have. Um, so if you have a player like Phillips next to Rodri, that could work quite easily in in that in their favour in that regard. So, yeah, um, in that way, I, I do get it as well. I do just want to add one more thing with Calvin because I think that some fans listening might might be forgetting or with telling us we're forgetting that um, there are other things that come with Calvin Phillips. And my hot take, or maybe it's not that hot, is that I don't think we're necessarily going to miss Phillips as a footballer that much. But I think, you know, as a person and as what he represented for Leeds fans on the pitch, we're obviously going to miss him. And it is a shame that your sort of fan representation is is missing out of the team from now on. And I think there was a, a world where Phillips could have stayed and could have found himself as the captain, you know, two, three years down the line. So in that regard, I am a little bit sad to see him go. But at the same time, I wish him all the best for Manchester City. And I do think that there are ways that they can use him and make him useful, probably more so than than we can. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Adam. And I just think it just serves as a useful reminder about what, 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 the, what the aim of this podcast is really it's not to talk about that stuff as much as to talk about the game itself so but I do I do think I do think it's a, a really useful reminder and obviously he's been around the club a long time and a lot of us are very fond of him as you as you quite rightly say um for footballing and not non-footballing reasons and you know because of his association with uh, Bielsa and the promotion winning team you know he'll always be fondly thought of um at Elland Road for sure John there's been um a whole lot of grumbling about the fee, rumored to be around um, forty-five million. Um, what what do you make of it? Like from from your point of view, how do you, how do you see that fee fitting into the the modern transfer landscape? Yeah, it's it's hard to talk about. You talked there about the modern landscape, and I think that's a well advised phrase because it's hard to know what the modern landscape is anyway for transfers. Now you'd expect with someone like Phillips to have a bit of England tax and a bit of City tax on top of that and I think that that it, it reveals that either City are viewing him as I've suggested as like a, a player who's a very specialist player they don't want to shell a huge fee on him then the question is well 
surely there would have been other clubs who would have been interested in that, to which a lot of people are saying, well, Phillips clearly only wanted to go to City. I don't know. This is all like this is all speculation. This is stuff that we don't really know. But I, I do suggest that it comes down to the fact that Phillips is a player who is very one-dimensional, and I know a lot of people will hate me for saying that. But as I've already suggested in the previous answer, it's hard to think of ways that you can justify spending a lot of money on a player who, actually, in terms of fit, there's going to be questions about which games do you actually use him in, how many minutes you're expecting from him, and I think City would be happy to get about fifteen hundred minutes out of him next season. And do you really want to be shelling like top dollar for a player who you're using in a very specialist way, as we've said? Uh, and again, I, I know that a lot of people won't like that as an answer, but I think if we put aside our biases as Leeds fans and look at it in terms of uh, the externalities and in terms of the market, then I think forty-five mil is very good price for that. And I think if you go on social media and listen to anyone who isn't a Leeds fan, the suggestion is is that this is a very good fee. So. I think it's 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 hard to assess because we don't have the full context. Uh, it's also hard to assess, I think, because there are contextual aspects to this which make it a little bit more confusing to talk about uh, because there is a big difference between moving as a defensive midfielder from a team who is doing a lot of defensive midfielding to a team who isn't doing a lot of defensive midfielding. Uh, and I think that's probably a lot of what comes into it as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Okay, so now that we know that that Phillips is for sure going out, um, it does leave us with some questions about how to replace him. So we're going to focus the next maybe 10 or 15 uh, minutes on that. Um, So before we start talking about a couple of individual players that that are kind of rumoured to be the ones that Leeds are really interested in, um, I thought it would be useful, as you've done on the Otters List episodes in the past, John, to just set a little bit of context in terms of the expectations that we might need around that player. Um, So I guess... One of the questions that I have is is where where does this player fit? Because this would give us probably five players for two positions, one of whom's maybe a bit more peripheral. So that would give us um, Mark Rocker, um, Forshaw, Click, and Lewis Bay plus this this other player. So how do, what what sort of position in terms of the hierarchy of the squad do you see this this new player taking on, John? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the assumption would be that that Forshaw and Click obviously are going to be playing much fewer minutes. Um, Obviously, Forshaw is coming towards the end of his career. He's been blighted by injuries, so there's a sense in which you know, again, you're happy if you can get like a thousand, fifteen hundred minutes out of Forshaw around the edges, and obviously bringing in players who are a little bit better in terms of the control side of the game uh, means that, that that will be okay. We'll be able to stomach that a little bit better. Uh, Click as well, you know, we've we've seen him over the last few seasons picking up more and more injuries. And um, again, I, I suspect he will become a, a bit more of a peripheral player. So I'm expecting the two players who are um, who are brought in to be probably the starters in, in that respect. There may be a bit period of crossover and stuff. Lewis Bate is a good question because there's no way that Lewis Bate is going to just hang around with the under-23s or I guess under-21s are they called now? It's going to be the 21s again from next season, yeah. Yeah, yeah the PL2 is, is changing next season, but yeah. he's not going to stick around there. So I suspect that he may be pushing for a loan out to a either a lower Premier League side or a, a title-challenging or playoff-challenging championship side I think that's quite likely with um, Guillaume also being part of this deal and potentially coming in to sort of use a bait and then bait might want to like you say get out on loan and, and play some minutes so yeah I guess in 
in answer to the question, I suppose we're going to see a lot more rotation in those spots. I'm sure there will be injuries in, in those positions because, as we've said, both Forshaw and Click are getting towards injury prone now and it will be good for them to just be rested a little bit more and, and rotated in and out as when is needed. So we're going to have a squad, right, Adam? That feels a bit unusual to, to have the idea that you might have a, a number of options for for any particular position in the team, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's good though. I'm I'm pretty happy. It seems like we're building smartly again at last and I think phasing out some of the old guard into sort of more squad like roles is, is a smart way to, to run and, and, and that's what we're doing. So yeah. Do you see either for sure or click moving on this summer, Adam? I think out of the two there's maybe a little bit more chance with click, um, because it I don't know if he necessarily took to Marsh's football. I mean, I think he did well in the system himself. Like I don't think he was a problem at all, but I think he may have had problems with it a little bit more at the end of the season. So if he's getting less minutes in a system that he doesn't really like, then there's a world where he could leave uh, at the same time. It doesn't seem like there's much talk of that at the moment. So I think it'd probably be here. So Adam, what are the, the skills that we're, they're, that we're looking for from this player and how will they be different and similar to, to Calvin Phillips? Maybe you talk about the similarities that we might need between between this player and Phillips and I'll come to John for the differences. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to be the exact same type of midfielder as Phillips. But if you're talking about what you would like that Phillips already brought to the team, then you want someone who's going to press quite aggressively, who's quite solid defensively, someone who can sort of facilitate Mark Rocker in his sort of aggressive, progressive passes through the lines more. He's going to be doing those passes into zone 14 a little bit. And um, if someone can help with that, then that that's, you know, that's going to be really good for us. And I don't want another like-for-like player that won't make sense for me. So, yeah, you want someone with a bit more pace and mobility um, and defensive ability to, to complement Rocker and, and his game. Um, and I think the, the couple of players that we're going to come on to talk to do a lot of that and, and the Phillips stuff of the defensive side. Maybe not quite to the extent that Phillips does because that is his main strength. He is such a good defensive, defensive midfielder. Um, but yeah, uh, they need to have a good degree of that so that Rocker can do his thing. Yeah, I guess it's in, in, interesting to remember that Bielsa always referred to that position as the third centre-back in the team and we're, we're looking to move away from a third centre-back type role, right? I think that's that's um, really, really key. So, John, what, what are the differences that, that, we're, that we're likely to see from this, this replacement player um, compared to, to Phillips? What are the additional or different skills that we'll be expecting to see? I've already said that you probably don't need quite so defensively minded uh, options in those positions so you can afford then to uh, just boost the on-ball things a little bit better so um, we're going to talk about two um, two guys who are both good ball carriers in a moment um, which I think is is going to be different to what Phillips offers I think certainly one of them is better at, at mid-range passing than Phillips um, so you're, you're worried you're, you're wanting someone who can make those penetrative passes into the middle we know that uh, Red Bull football is all about playing direct passes through the centre into areas where you can either immediately attack the goal or you can win the ball in a breakdown through counter-pressing. So you, it's very much about territory, getting the ball into those dangerous areas. So you want someone who can find those passes into people, usually on the floor uh, as well. So I think those are probably the main differences. And in terms of the pressing side of things, we're expecting this player to be probably a little bit more proactive, a little bit higher up to kind of support that counter-press, right? Whereas Phillips would normally have sat a bit deeper, although I think it, there were times when he did press that a little bit higher. But but we're expecting them the, the starting position to be much higher and to be more about snapping into the press, maybe similar to the, the way that we've seen Forshaw do at times. Yeah, we talked about this on the last episode, actually, the fact that 
there's if even if you play two players in a, in a pivot, usually one of them will end up being the deeper line playmaker will end up dropping a little bit deeper. But yeah, you're right. In insofar as in terms of the counter press, you're wanting both of those double pivot to get really far forward. You want your back line to push up high because you're wanting to reduce the amount of space that you're covering. Um, and so, yeah, the idea is is that if the ball knocks back out of that of that central space that we like to talk about between the the centre backs and the central midfielders, then the, the double pivot players are there to, to to sort of sweep it up or put the player under pressure immediately so they don't have a chance to set themselves and then find the ball in, into the one of the two channels. So, yeah, definitely a little bit more proactive going forward and, and actually attacking a little bit more as well. Again, like the, the, the deeper, liar, deeper lying playmaker of the two will probably sit a little bit deeper, but you will expect the other one. And sometimes it is the more defensive one. Um, will be actually getting forward onto the edge of the box, even into the box as well. So, yeah, it's definitely about getting players forward and 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 being aggressive in that respect, which I think is quite different to what Bielsa uses his single pivot player for. So we've got two players, two players that that have been um, linked in the press. Adam, who's the one that you wanted to? St- you were desperate to talk about this player, Adam. So who who's the player that you wanted to talk about to, and and start telling us about their uh, his skills um, and and how you see him fitting in. Mohamed Kamara of RB Salzburg. I know that some people will maybe be listening and thinking, another one, really? But I think he's actually probably the best player that they have. So out of the three signings we could make from them, he probably would be the best of them. Um, I personally prefer him out of the two options we're going to speak about. I think he does all of that sort of defensive stuff and pressing that I mentioned. I think he's pretty good at that. Uh, But he's also a really good progressive ball carrier and, and a decent passer as well himself. And I think that's going to be really important um, to give Rocker a little bit more of an extra help in that regard as well. So he's not just doing the the progressive deep line playmaker stuff. Um, and yeah, I think he's just absolutely wonderful. He's one of my favourite links of the window and probably one of my favourite genuine links that we've had all time of me supporting Leeds. He's, he, I think he's fabulous and I've been watching quite a bit of him lately. And I, I just think that he would be worth the extra sort of I don't know, five or 10 million it might cost to get over the other option that we're going to talk about. And so I, I, I personally would do it because I think he's, he's just a really well-rounded player. He's obviously quite slight and quite small in his frame. Like he's, he's quite strong, but he's also um, quite short. He's five foot seven, I think, John, you might correct me on that, but I think he's about that. Um, and yeah, he, he does put himself about really well and he's definitely very aggressive with the ball when he gets it as well. So yeah, I think he'd, he'd offer us a lot. I think there's a potential that with a player like that, you'd quickly forget about Calvin Phillips leaving um, because he, he would be just so good. And I know that he's in Austria and there might be a bit of a an adjustment period for him coming from a, a league like that to a stronger one. But I, I do trust that he's got all the tools to make it work. I think we might be looking for a bit more press resistance from this player than we've seen from from Phillips. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, for sure. And um, no camera is definitely going to offer that. He's... Yeah, like we say, he has everything apart from height, um, which I, I suppose may be an issue for for some people. But uh, I think that uh, yeah, the, the the stuff that he can do on a football is is really exciting to watch. It's really fun to watch. He's super press resistant, as you've suggested. Yeah, he just rolls players and and drives forward with the ball. He's also great at passing. He's he's good at playing those balls that Phillips plays into the channels as well so you're getting you're getting Phillips plus on ball stuff I think really so yeah obviously maybe a little bit lower on the on the off ball side of the the game but as we've already suggested that might not be too much of an issue so definitely a player I'm really excited about 
So just just to sort of clarify, one of the reasons why we say it's less important for the defensive attributes is because centrally this team is going to defend more in numbers than it would in individual battles, right? So that that that's part of the reason why. What might the likely cost implication of this transfer be, Adam? I think you're talking around the 25 to 30 million mark. So that could be quite a bit more than Adams and what might be why we make the decision to go for someone like Adams instead. Um, and I know Graham's written a piece this morning in the Yorkshire Evening Post and he basically said the same thing, that Kamara would be the more costly of the two. So Adams might be the one that they end up going for. Sometimes you get what you pay for though, right? Exactly. John, tell us about Tyler Adams then because you've, you've mentioned him, you've been having a look at him this morning. Yeah, Tyler Adams is currently... Uh... Uh, RB Leipzig in in the Bundesliga, 23-year-old. I guess a player who profiles quite nicely to Phillips in a lot of respects. He's someone who's gone through the Red Red Bull system all the way through. So he started out at the New York Red Bulls. um, And I I believe he was there when Marsh was there. Um, And then he moved to to Leipzig. And uh, obviously Marsh coached him at the beginning of last season as well. So uh, the obvious statements there about there being um, obviously workability between the two of them. He is, I would say, probably more on the defensive end of the spectrum there. So similarities with with Phillips, as I say, probably not as many upsides off the ball as Phillips, but he is a better ball carrier, I would say, than Phillips. Um, so you'll see him picking the ball up and running through the middle. Do you think? I do find some of his um, sort of shorter passing a little bit frustrating um so he he's good at progressing the ball but sometimes has a tendency to turn the ball over when he's when he's when he's done good work carrying it forward but uh, he would also be i think fine in in a defensive sense he knows the system he's uh, very athletic very mobile is exactly the sort of player that you would want as your defensive player in that sort of system my worries about him would be more on the on ball side of things but uh, alongside someone like Mark Rocker i think that he would be um sensible double pivot there you've got the progressive passer and the progressive carrier and I think between the two of them they would be fine what do you make of him Adam yeah no I can only echo what John's just said and I agree with the sort of the importance of having a bit more mobility and pace in the middle is is probably very very keen for us if we're going to play Mark Rocker there because that's what he lacks he's not the most mobile so if you want to snap into the counter press and and you want Adams or Kamara to push up then they're both going to be very good at that and and you know, pushing up towards the attacking midfielders. Um, I, I do like him as well, but I just don't. I don't love him in the way that I love Kamara. So I wouldn't mind if we paid the extra money. I think it would cost around twenty million, maybe ish, for Adams. But I think that extra bit for Kamara might be worth doing. Um, so yeah, Adams, good. Like John says, good mobile player, decent ball carrier, but yeah, a bit frustrating and a bit average sort of in possession. And maybe that's where you would prefer to pay that little bit extra. Okay. Are there any other names in the mix, John? I'm I'm not the right person to talk about for this actually, but I haven't heard of anyone else. Oh, I I have heard another name, but it's not really been released, so I'm not going to talk about that. Ooh. Well, it's not good, so don't don't get excited. We'll talk talk about it afterwards, maybe. <laughs> okay. So, um, Adam, have you heard any other names kicking about? No. I've not I've not heard any other names uh, other than the one that John's heard as well. Um, but uh, a player that I would like to, us, us to look at maybe is Dominguez um, playing in Serie A. He's kind of a similar profile enough to these guys. He's very good defensively and, and decent with the ball as well. So he'd be someone I would like us to go for, but I don't think it's an actual link. So yeah, it looks like Kamara Adams and maybe this other guy at the moment as the three front runners. Okay, well, there, there's... Uh... There's lots to think about there. Okay, um, so players we've been linked for in other positions. Um, now, 
I I think that I'd love to hear a, a proper Yorkshireman say this next name, so I'm going to say it like I'd expect to say it, Ellen Road. <laughs> so, Adam, tell us about Cody Gakpo. Yeah, this is a very, very exciting link. And I said that Kamara is one of the most exciting, but this right up there as well. Um, this is someone actually that's come up on our stats, aren't we, before? If anyone listened to the Autos List episodes from last summer and we looked at right-footed left-wingers, um, he was on Hobbsy and John's list. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, he ended up going for yeah, Dan James, though, Darren, so that was a bit of a shame. <laughs> but, Did yeah, he? Um, he's sort of a, a perfect sort of player, I think, in that, He's very explosive. He's he's pretty tricky, pretty flashy as well. Um, so you, if you want to replace Rafinha, you, you're looking at something like that and, and it, it sort of fits the profile. At the same time, he offers other things as well. He's very tall. Um, he's he's very physical. He's six foot two and he's, he's pretty strong. He's also still that explosive pace as well. Um, but yeah, he's played in a Red Bull-like system before. He's played the 4-2-2-2 with Schmidt when he was at PSV, a former RB coach. So, yeah, he could easily play um, in quite a few of the roles within our team. Um, he could play as a striker. He could play as one of the attacking midfielders. I, I presume he would play as the left attacking midfielder. That's where he's played the most. Um, but if we moved systems to something else, he could also play as a left winger. So, yeah, in that sense, he, he's a really exciting player. He's one of the best young players in, in the Dutch league right now. Um, so I, I would be very keen to get him. I don't think that's changed from a year ago when this podcast talked about him then. John, remind us what you thought of him. I can't remember what I thought of him, but he okay. is a Good he's a very fun player. <laughs> Should have gone back and listened to to the episode that we recorded on him. It was a long time ago now, so and I'm getting very old, so do mm. forgive me on that one. But yeah, uh, he's definitely a player that would be brilliant to get in. Whether or not we will is, is another matter. But uh, Josh Hobbs is very excited about yeah. him, which is, is all you need to know about a player. Definitely not happening, is it? <laughs> then in that, if, if Hobbs is excited, is definitely, and then Hobbs is just going to talk about him for the next three years, every transfer window, as he's done with other players. The one that got away. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Okay, let's move on. Uh, it's now time for the next instalment of Teaching Darren How to Say Words. <laughs> Remind me how to say this player's name, John. So this guy's name is Charlotte de Catalara. Charlotte de Catalara. Okay, good. It's quite fun to say, isn't it? It is. It is. Please record me saying that because I will forget again and we can just put it in as an insert in future. <laughs> um, tell us about him, John. Yeah, he's a fun player. So he is playing in Bruges at the moment. He's uh, played there his whole life so far. He's 21, I think. Interesting sort of in-between kind of player so 
I think we're considering him to be a, what was the phrase that was used in the second athletic, striker a, or false a second nine. striker or a false nine yeah uh, which is yeah whatever that means <laughs> but th- that I guess that indicates that he's someone who's not going to play as an out and out striker he's someone who likes to get his likes to drop in he likes to pick the ball up get it facing goalwards uh, and likes to do link up play a lot as well he's played in a few positions I think across the front line so I think there's been games where he's played in wide positions he's played as a 10 played as a 9 dropping in as well so plenty of versatility there and I suppose in the system that we would use him he would be one of the striker positions and would be really useful to get into that central space pick the ball up uh, and then find teammates through so there's plenty of examples of him doing really nice interplay with players like Noah Lang um, to reference another one of Josh's uh, lost love interests but um, again you're you're sort of talking someone who's getting the ball to feet he's very good um, with with the ball at his feet and he can play those little flicks and and little passes and through balls um, just in behind the the back line for people to run onto which I think would be pretty useful in our in our system we did talk about Decatalara as well in an auto's list from earlier this year um, and of all the players that we talked about I think he was like the second worst fit we said but um, this was very early on in the Jesse Marsh tenure and I think in hindsight I would probably correct that and say that that there are there is an obvious upside to having a player like that who can pick the ball up in those central spaces and be good enough on the ball to be able to find the the, the, the gaps in the opposition defence. So, yeah, I think this is a, a very exciting um, option as well. It's hard to know exactly what will happen with these transfers because there's already been a Belgian journalist who's suggesting that Decatur Lara is not interested in going to Leeds. Now, obviously, Leeds will fancy their chances of being able to persuade him, potentially. But I do think that we are doing... We, we are doing a lot of that thing that, that we like to do, which is mention a lot of good big big name players and then end up not signing them. So I'm taking this one with a bit of a pinch of salt. Um, there's been links with Milan um, and there's been links with Napoli this morning. So I think that this, he's the sort of player that you would expect to make the next step be higher up. I know a lot of people talk about he, him needing a stepping stone club, but I think there are clubs out there where they have... European football where he could probably consider them to be a stepping stone club as well so it's going to be a tough one to to get through the door but uh, yeah both of those players I think would be really exciting would represent a much higher level of player really that we've that, than we've been considering in the transfer market for for a while really. Mm, what do you make of this one Adam? Yeah I really like this one too I think his skill set is varied enough that he could play pretty much any of those front four positions even though I do think he would be playing as sort of the striker that drops in the most I think that's that's the role he would look to take, which is obviously at the moment, it looks like that's Rodrigo's role. So it would be potentially a, a replacement and an upgrade in that position. Um, as John mentioned, he'd probably be a bit of a stepping stone. We'd be a stepping stone for him, sorry. Um, and I think if you get someone like him, even Gakpo as well, I think that you could see them wanting maybe a, a release clause inserted in the contract. And maybe that will put some people off. But personally, I, I don't think that's something that should deter us. I, I do think that both of these guys would be really good options. Um, I do like uh, Decatelara. I, I tried to say it, so yeah, if I, yeah. Good. Um, I do like him a lot. I think that it's what's funny about him is that he's so tall, but he's absolutely not a target man. He's, he's six foot four, but he's very much, as John mentioned, a, a technical player. He's not very physical, but he, he wants to get on the ball and make things happen, um, even for himself or teammates. I can already hear the cop. 
<laughs> when he doesn't go thundering in for a challenge. Oh, you big lad, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. That. Get some blood on your boots, dick it to the lar and, the... <laughs> and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he'd be a really fun player. So uh, again, if we manage to get all of these, then fantastic. And I think this is the point of the podcast where I should allude to something that I tweeted yesterday, John, where I said if we managed to get Kamara, Gakpo and CDK, that I would get John's face tattooed on me somewhere. So let's let's hope that it happens, shall we? Yeah, that'd be really fun, wouldn't it? It would it would be very much fun <laughs> and we would film it and put it out as a bonus all stats video. I just want to say, Adam, that I until you mentioned him just now, I'd completely forgotten that Rodrigo Rodrigo existed and I was happy and now <laughs> you've mentioned him and I'm unhappy once again. So very thanks sorry. very much for that. That's all right. Um I just wanted to to pick up a discussion um, that we've had a few, uh, sort of alluded to a few times, really, just thinking about um, about the way that we're building our squad at the moment, because it seems very much that what we're doing is we're going all in on on Red Bull style football, we're going all in on Marsh Ball, and and I suppose it leads to a, to an interesting question, which is that if this doesn't work for whatever reason, if 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 Marsh Ball doesn't work in the Premier League, or if for whatever reason we have a really poor run of results at the start of the season. And and we end up without Jesse Marsh in charge of the squad. I guess it it does lead some questions to the kind of to the logic and sustainability of this approach in the transfer market. And I know it's something we've touched on briefly in the past, John. But I'm just wondering if that's a concern for you at the moment, given given the way that we we currently seem to be building this squad. If we're being mentioned in the same breath as players like Charlotte Catalara and Cody Hakpo, then I'm not particularly worried because. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and we still end up with a squad with those two players in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I suppose I, in the past I have worried about the fact that we have maybe had an interesting approach in the transfer market, given what we've talked about before. I mean, the fact that it seemed fairly likely that that had we gone down, Jesse Marsh might not have been in the position that he's in now. You then have this situation where you're spending a lot of money on players to fit a squad that he wants. Now, I, I'm not sure how much say he's having in the matter. But yeah, I think I'm much more of the opinion now that as long as we're bringing in good players, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. Maybe it won't work out for him, in which case I would much rather have a squad with players who are, have a much higher upside than, than the sorts of players who might fit well in mm. Red Bull football. So uh, it's a sort of like win-win scenario, I think, in, in many respects for me. Yeah, so it sounds like what 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 it looks like if we do manage to bring these. Let's say we manage to bring um, Mo Camera, Gakpo, and Decatelara, and then then it seems like we've been, over this window we would have both raised the floor and the ceiling of the squad, right? Which is something that we haven't really done uh, in the past. What about you, Adam? You got any any thoughts there? Sorry, John, I cut you off. Then I feel like we we've mentioned Ethan from online on this podcast a lot, but it just reminded me of a tweet that he did recently, which was to say that you shouldn't always look at players as positions, but actually as like skill sets. And if we have a lot of multifunction, multifunctional players in our squad and Aronson and, and Hakpo and Decatalera and those sorts of players, then we've not, like you said, we've raised the floor of the squad and the, possibly even the ceiling as well. We've got players that are so multifunctional with just a higher technical quality and a better skill set than we've had before that then, yeah, if we wanted to change things, I wouldn't be too worried. I think that there's plenty of other managers and options that could come our way and and make something of the squad. And I know that a lot of people are looking at it and simply seeing us becoming Red Bull leads, but I'm just looking at it, as John said, like better players for the squad. And if it doesn't work out with Marsh, hopefully it would with someone else. Okay, cool. So it's not it's not so much of a worry as we we might have might have thought. That's that sounds good. Okay, um, 
Anything else around transfers, transfer windows, players in, players out, before we move on to just briefly touch on the end of the 23 season? Nope. Okay. All right. Um, so at the end of the season, as we know, the um, the under 23s um, were, were relegated into the division below, um, and I think it was a it was a, a challenging season for the under 23s for for many reasons. One of which was that um, a lot of the under 23 players were kind of prematurely promoted into the first team squad to cover injuries because our squad was so small. That meant that the 23 pool was less strong. Um, than, than it would ordinarily have been and meant that, that the 23s lost a lot of games which you would have ordinarily expected to, to maybe pick something up in. Um, Adam, what do you think relegation means for the for the under-23s uh, team, which is going to be the under-21s team, as John's already mentioned next season? It's gone back to the 21s. But what do you think it means for that kind of developing players group? Well, it's not as high a quality league, so I guess that that's the first thing to, to mention and that's potentially a problem if you want to develop players within the 21 setup as much as you can. Um, does it affect us going forward in terms of recruitment? Maybe. I don't know, though, because I remember when we got promoted out of the league, we signed quite a few players in that year um, to the 21s and ended up, they were the players that were sort of the the base for us to to get promoted that season. So potentially it, it won't really affect much. We know that Orta's 21s and 23s recruitment actually has been pretty good, generally speaking. Um, not that every player will make it, but a lot of the players that are there have done well. So, yeah, I mean, it's disappointing to be relegated, but hopefully enough of the core are there and we can recruit a little bit more and, and get promoted again because obviously playing at the, the league above is, is a better thing for their development. That's an interesting thought, actually, Adam. So, John, yeah, I think... I wonder how much of a difference it makes because I think the the leap up from the development football into the Premier League or into league football is so much bigger that I don't think it, I, I'm not really sure it matters which of the two Premier League two divisions we play in. Myself, what do you think? Yeah, in terms of development side of things, I would agree. Probably, you obviously want to be playing against the better academies, sure, and you also want to have the ability to say to players that you're bringing in, we're playing in the top division. So there's those two things. I think probably impact it and um, I mean I'm not versed enough in the differences between the PL2-1 and PL2-2 divisions to be able to say anything really sensible on this but just as a general rule it's just better to be in a higher division right so it's not it's not the end of the world but it's also like I, I, I think that because the club made such a big thing of the fact that we were developing these elite academy systems and to be to be to be honest i don't think we've really seen the fruit of that i mean even the players who are coming through for us a lot of them we bought having gone through systems of other teams for the most part right so i'm thinking like pascal strauch um he obviously arrived at us quite young and we did the sort of finishing touches and um there was the, the fact that we we had so many injuries we sort of accelerated his development a little bit there but even someone like Joe Gelhart was playing in the championship um, at, at a point before we brought him in so yeah I, th- I think that the club has made a big thing of the academy side of the the, the club but I don't know there's that you need to have some sort of sense of the holy grail pathway that everyone talks about um, and I'm not entirely sure that we've necessarily got that even though we've used a lot of, of youth players um, it's very much been sort of throwing them in at the deep end when we've messed up in terms of squad depth. And I'm not sure that that's maybe quite so laudable as a lot of people like to think that it is. Because ideally you want a structure whereby you can introduce a player grad- more gradually than we've been able to do 
to put them in, take them out when when that becomes necessary. And we haven't really been able to do that, Adam. Right? It's been it's been um, a case of when we've got those young players and it's been in really high pressure situations where they needed to deliver. And luckily, you know, Gelhart at times has been able to deliver the moments. But I don't I don't think he's the structure around his introduction has been as as, as clear or as uh, or as measured as you would want it to be. No, I absolutely agree with that. And um, hopefully next season that can be rectified somewhat with having a bigger squad as well. Maybe more of them can stay with the 21s when they have to. And, and then maybe, hopefully it doesn't block them as a pathway, uh, like John mentioned, but hopefully they, they still get the opportunities. I'd like to see Gelhart get sort of 1,500 to 2,000 minutes next season at least and, and really kick on and players like that. And if others that aren't able to get into the team, I'm thinking of players like Charlie Cresswell and things like that. I'd, I'd like to see them go out on loan really because... I don't think they're going to get as much game time unless we have some sort of injury crisis. So I think it would make sense for players like that to go out. But for the really good ones like Elhart, I think it's going to be pretty good for them next season. I think he'll be able to be not thrust in so heavily at the deep end, but rather used more sparingly and used in, in little patches. And that's probably better for him as well. And I guess the five, the five subs thing will it definitely helps massively. play a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of the approach to the under-23s slash under-21s is based around the fact that we assumed that we would be in the championship for longer. Because I think as soon as you enter the Premier League, it becomes really hard to actually have a functional academy system. And we've seen a lot of clubs sort of not bother doing that, even like clubs like Brentford. I know Brentford are bringing an academy in now, and I think you have to maybe for European competitions. So there is obviously a bit more complexity to it than that. But I think the problem is is that it's it's a sort of economy of scale thing. And when you have clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea hoovering up all the talent, suddenly you're in a situation where you can't really rely on bringing the best players through and player development at the youth level is so changeable as well. I mean, how many how long ago were people talking about Noah Kenne being the next thing? in football and now he's off to Hibs and his you know his his ceiling is probably the championship now it's it's just such a risky area to to use as a as a, a potential development system so I, I just kind of think that the 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 academy is what it is but at the end of the day we are going to end up after this season with very few slots in, if if any at all for actual youth players if we assume that like Gelhart now is just a first team player like who are the youth players that we're expecting to actually play any minutes in the next few seasons probably not many at all so yeah I think it, it's worth saying that the, the, the being in the Premier League does change how we should view the academy a little bit and I think the club have leaned on that because I think a lot of people like the idea of being like oh yeah we have a we care about youth and youth development but in practicality I'm not sure if it's actually ever really been successful for us. Adam, just pick up on that point John just made about other players uh, beyond Gelhart, who I think I think you're right, John. We should consider him a first team player now. Um, wh- whether there are any any other players who you'd expect to see in in and around the first team squad, we know Greenwood was around there a fair bit at the end of the season, and Jesse Marsh spoke very highly of him. Um, so he's one player that we can think about. But um, are there any others from that twenties twenty threes group who you think will be um, around the first team squad and getting minutes this season? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that it's a very high likelihood, like I said, that um, someone like Cresswell goes out on loan. Um, but I wonder about players like Cody Drame and how well he did out on loan last season with Cardiff and whether he's thinking, I'm going to be back up here um, while Christensen's playing. Uh, I'll only get in if it's a cup game or if he's injured. And even then, uh, Ailing should be back around sort of August, September, October time, somewhere within that 
So yeah, he might end up moving down the pecking order even more. So it would maybe block him in that regard as well. I think someone like Somerville, he's probably likely to head out on loan if we can get him a new deal. If not, I think he'd probably be sold. Um, we're obviously in the process of offering him one at the moment. So we'll see where that goes. But there's not many others, like you mentioned Greenwood and Gellhart. They're, they're the two ones that I expect to be in and around the team the most. Um, I think Bate might look for a loan, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast. So yeah, then it would, it would all maybe depend on whether we see this Giabi from Manchester City as a first-team player straight away, or would he be someone that we put in the 21s at first and then look to put in the first team maybe as the season developed? John, one of the things that I was impressed with with the 23s towards the end of the, the season last year was that they seemed to take on the sort of central tenets of Red Bull football a little bit more easily or a little bit more smoothly than the first team. And similarly, they'd managed to maintain some of the Bielsen tactical ideas um, where, where they dropped off in the first team, so I, I guess I guess we're expecting to see to continue to see the the under twenty threes or the under twenty ones team continue to be schooled in that in the same tactical and um, ideas as the first team, right? And and that that's what we'd hope. That's really what the that development side of the things is for is to kind of school them in the in the club's central tactical identity. I think it's worth saying at this point that. So I'm doing a lot of thinking about Red Bull football at the moment. I'm doing a video at work this week on Red Bull football and particularly from the tactical side of things. I think there's an argument to be made that Red Bull football is like it's like high floor, low ceiling football. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that the under 23s have looked quite good playing it last season. Um, because I think that when, when you're playing Red Bull football, if you're coming up against... Pl- players or teams who are less good at at ball possession and retention of the possession under pressure then the you know the 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 upside of playing that kind of football can have can can swing remarkably depending on who you're playing essentially so uh, on the one hand yes I think it's it's good that these players can learn the tenets as you say early on Um, the questions are like how portable is that between the two levels um, so yeah, it may, may be the case that like next season we we start doing a lot of the the stuff that that Jesse Marsh wants to see, and we we know there's that maybe complexified aspect of the fact that it seemed as though the players wanted to play a different style of football to the style of football that Jesse Marsh wanted at times. So there's definitely yeah there's added complexity there. It may be the case that Red Bull football works fine next season within within reason, uh, but I do think that it's worth maybe highlighting that it could just be easier to play that kind of frenetic, destabilizing, chaotic football at a lower level and get your upside from it than it might be at the at the top level of the Premier League. So um, yeah, I think I'm not, I'm not sure if I answered the question that you asked, but no, you did, you did, you definitely did, Adam. I'm just going to come to you to sort of wrap this up, really. So. Um, we we spent a lot of times watching a lot of time watching the the twenty threes last season and for the, for the twenty threes podcast, um, and it was really destabilised in terms of the the team that that the twenty threes were able to put out, and we did see some players perhaps prematurely promoted to the um, twenty three level. Uh, Archie Gray, Charlie Allen, been been two of those who who probably would be best suited at eighteens level for the time being. Um, so what what do you what do you hope to see um, in the under twenty ones this this coming season? Worth saying that Andrew Taylor's moved back to his post as loans manager, so he won't be the twenty threes coach twenty uh, ones coach next year. So there currently isn't a coach for the twenty ones, as far as I'm aware. Um, but but what do you what do you hope to see for the for the coming season for for the development squad? 
Well, I guess the ultimate aim is a promotion. Um, that's yeah. probably what we'd be looking for. But at the same time, I think that some of these guys having to step up a, a level a bit too early, perhaps, has maybe been a good thing for them. Maybe they'd be more ready for it next season. I can see Charlie Allen and um, Archie Gray, maybe, to the players that, that could have a better year again next year at that level. So uh, more development from those. I think that there's going to be some of the sort of more senior 21s slash 23s either with the first team more or leaving the club on loan. So that means that players like Leo Hjelda are going to have to step up to probably be more senior in that that sort of level as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully across the board uh, improvement, but also hopefully a promotion. But we're going to need a manager for that first and probably a few more players. But we have, is maybe important to mention, been linked with a few decent, well, more than decent, very exciting young players um, from the likes of West Ham. I can't remember their names right now I don't know if one of you has them to hand um, and they might end up coming in so yeah that team should hopefully stay uh, fairly strong even though there's going to be quite a bit of churn as there is usually at this this sort of level at youth level you do see a lot of churn in the in the 21s and 23 squads mm-hmm. it's Sonny Perkins is it yeah that's one of them right? yeah mm-hmm. John, I'd completely forgotten about Yo Yelda. You expecting to see him more around the first team squad, or where do you, where do you think he sits? Because I think he's quite highly thought of, right? Yeah, I think so. I I guess we saw Yelda and Strout being used as left backs, so yeah. I'm guessing that they'll be in that sort of rotation, center, left centre back and, and left back rotation. So it'll be Cooper, Strout, Yelda, Furpo, Stuart Dallas. I guess that'll be all of them are in that area. Yeah, it will be. It will be. Okay, um, before we wrap up, any more for any more around the, the development squad? Are we are we happy? We're happy. Okay, good. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this week's All Stats Aren't We weekly podcast. Um, all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, John. Thank you, mate. And thank you, Adam. Thank you very much, Darren. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.